Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners, Sarah Box, your host, and welcome to this week's episode of our podcast. Today, our guest is Ronnie Lambrecht. Ronnie has written two books, Parenting at Your Best, Powerful Reflections and Straightforward Tips for Becoming a Mindful Parent, and Parent's Guide for Journaling to Their Child, Simple Strategies for Writing Heartfelt Love Letters to Your Child. Now, as interesting as both of those titles sound, they also are powerful because they came out of a tragic experience in Ronnie's life when in a split second, right after Christmas in 2013, they lost their only child in a tragic accident and moved from that place, that terrible, terrible grief and loss and all the questioning into a place where they're focused totally on helping others move through that, live without regret, and pay it forward, as their son always did with his smiles. But in addition to talking about that, Ronnie talks about how the concept of balance isn't real, how to take a long view to really identify where the success is, and how as busy, busy women, we put so much on our plate that's not real, how to balance that and prioritize that in a way that leaves you able to live without regret. Ronnie's a very fun person. She has great energy. I think you will enjoy meeting her. I know we laughed a lot. We laughed a lot before I hit record, and then we laughed a lot through the interview. But she has some very powerful lessons to share. She's very real. I just know you're going to love Ronnie as much as I did. So let's hop on over and listen to the interview. Hey, welcome to the No Labels, No Limits podcast, Ronnie. I'm going to start by asking you to do two things kind of off the wall is tell people a little bit about what you share with me about being type A and what you are doing right now talking to me from an RV. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, in May, we sold our house in Colorado uh, we drove to Tennessee in our RV with the intent to potentially buy a home there and be closer to Nashville, closer to music, closer to just the fun of life, I guess. Anyway, and we tried to do that and we put a contract in on a house that we've had all kinds of problems with and hopefully will someday be closing here, maybe at the end of this month or middle of next. Um, But anyway, it takes them a whole lot longer to do things there. So we had a couple months of extra time. And in that couple of months, my cousin called and said that she had a tractor that she wanted to sell. And my husband said, oh, well, we're going to be needing a tractor and you need some remodeling. So... We're in South Carolina now, (laughs) remodeling my cousin's house in trade for a tractor. (laughs) Okay, now, I want you to tell me how that fits with being a type A, I'm a planned out kind of (laughs) gal. It means that I am the type of girl who knows exactly what's going to be happening a month from now at 5 p.m., and this did not fit at all into my calendar, to my idea of where we were going. It's, it's difficult to work on the road. I'm a realtor by trade. I'm also a closer. All of those things are in Colorado. So I'm flying back and forth home to work. Um, you know, as a client calls and says, hey, I need to see some houses, I go, oh, okay, I'm on a plane. <laughs> 
So this whole spontaneity thing is not a type A personality kind of thing. So I'm learning. I'm getting there. (laughs) Well, what I love about that is it's that whole, okay, I'm a realtor. My business is there. We're moving here. Okay. So those are all just kind of ways that you've structured things. They're your labels, right? But at least you didn't say I can't do it. And the, the funny thing, I told my husband, I said, I'm, I'm just going to be remote anyway. All my work, we can be anywhere. And he goes, but you have meetings. I says, yep, I just need to be near a major airport hub. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, that's what I said. I need to be right around Southwest Airlines. So it's cheap to fly wherever I need to go. <laughs> yeah. And no plug to Southwest, but I'm the same way, right? It's like they're easy peasy. You can, <laughs> all good. So yeah, I like, exactly. I love that spontaneity of you. And for the listeners, when, when Ronnie first put her um, screen on and I looked, I knew exactly where she was sitting. I'm thinking, uh-huh. <laughs> she is in an RV. So, all right, we're going to get a little more serious here. Um, I want to start first, though. You mentioned that you're a realtor by trade, but that's not yeah. all. I mean, because when I went back through your your bio and everything you've got on there, there were two things that struck out for me. You've got like a lot of extra extras and background on your realtor, stuff you did before you were an agent. But the one thing that I think I really loved about what you had to say about yourself and your experience is how all of that diverse experience makes you better at what you do today. So just give us a little bit of the realtor pedigree background and how you bring that forward into helping people today. Okay. Boy, it's kind of a long background. (laughs) Um, My daddy has always been uh, in the building trades. He's been a builder, sold windows, doors, trim, all that kind of fun stuff. My mom has always been a mortgage broker. For 47 years, she's been in the mortgage business. And so 25 years ago, she brought me into this kicking and screaming. I didn't want to work for my mom. I didn't want to have to be I love my mom, don't get me wrong, but she's she's really type A as well and very hard to work for. <laughs> and I knew that if I worked for her or with her in any capacity, I had to be perfect. This is the woman that followed me around with a sock, a white sock, after I dusted to make sure I got all the dust off of what I was dusting. <laughs> So working for her is a whole nother ball game. Anyway, so I actually did go to work for her and I worked for her for about seven years and then I bought the company. And, uh, and in that time, I became a loan closer, um, a title closer. I also prepared loan documents. In the meantime, I've always my whole life grown up around construction because my dad was a builder. My husband is in construction and always has been. And so it's just kind of in our blood, I guess. And, and so I think being a part of all of those things has made me better. And in being a closer, which is kind of um, when you're in a real estate transaction, the closer is the person you actually don't remember. We're the one at the end of the game who notarize your signature when you sign off on buying your house. Oh, please. Oh, contraire. <laughs> I remember every closer. Anyway, so we're that person. But what that also means is if you're thinking about baseball, we're the catcher. Everybody else is out running around and doing all that stuff. We're catching everything. We're taking everything from all these people and we're catching it all and trying to put it all together in one document. <laughs> so when we do that, you know, obviously, um, a, a 
a, a bad way of saying it would be that we're the babysitter of the realtors, the lenders, the appraisers, the inspectors, you know, all those kind of people. But a more logical way of saying it is that you're taking all these things from all these sides and you're putting the puzzle together and you're making a complete picture out of it. So in doing so, I felt like becoming a realtor was my very next next and only step that I could take that would bring me to um, another level. But because I have all of this background experience in being a loan officer, a processor, a closer, file shipper, all of these kind of things, as well as the fact that I know all about construction and um, my husband does remodeling for a living. Um, It all ties together. And so when I'm out showing properties to a client, I can point things out that another realtor would never see. So yeah, it works out pretty slick. Too bad you were were going east and not west. (laughs) Because you know, I know. It'd be fun. It'd be really fun. But I think about that having be. having that eclectic and really valuable knowledge. And I joke about remembering the closers, but I do because they've caught things. They've caught things yes. that other people haven't caught. And exactly. the very first house I bought, I bought as a single person. And I remember being really scared. Like I'm thinking, what if I sign this thing? And it was the closer that sat there with me as I just slowly went. She goes, <laughs> you'll get faster at this because there's a lot of signing. <laughs> exactly. 168 but, pages about. <laughs> oh my God. It's just cruel and unusual. The good news is you get a house at the end. But um, Exactly. And exactly. it gets easier the next time. So, But I think about being type A, having that attention to detail, and just the value of knowing all the different trades too. So as you said, you could point stuff out. But also, I know I will ask somebody I trust, like, well, who should I call if I'm going to get this stuff repaired? Who's right besides your husband? Right. <laughs> Who should I call? So I just think that's a nice way of being in the world that you can bring much to service of people and benefiting others as well as you're doing your work, which I, I know is something important to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's get a little more serious about how we even came to be on this call today, together today. And I'd mentioned in the um, interview or prior to starting our interview in the introduction, that you're an author of two books, and you ha- and your email is do it for Dalton. So for folks who don't know you, give us a little story about Dalton, because it's not a little story, it's a powerful story. It is. It is. And how that led to writing the books, and what you want to share about that. I'm going to let you just kind of start with that, and I'll interject questions. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> okay, well, if I get a little teary here, um, please please um, understand. Um, our son, Dalton, was 15 years old and obviously the light of our life. He was um, just a cool kid all the way around and tons of fun to be with and our only child. So as you can imagine, as parents, when you've got an only child, you've got all your energy outside of work. You've got all your energy going into your kid. And um, anyway, we were on a vacation in California, actually, and um, at the Glamis Sand Dunes. And uh, we had been there for the week of Christmas. We went as a family and actually had our very first Christmas that was just the three of us in our whole life, because <laughs> usually we're surrounded by family, which is wonderful. But anyway, we that year had decided that we were going to have Christmas on our own and that we were going to go ride in the dunes and enjoy our time together and um, just really focus on each other for the two weeks that we were gone. 
anyway, and we got there on Christmas Eve and had a great Christmas together. And then the Sunday following Christmas, four days later, uh, Dalton was riding his four-wheeler and he was hit head on by a sand rail. The next question everybody always asks is, what is a sand rail? (laughs) And I'll tell you, it's a huge dune buggy. They say weight-wise, it's about six times the weight of Dalton's four-wheeler. So that being said, when the sand rail hit Dalton, it was head-on and on his right side, and um, he was killed instantly when when the sand rail hit him. Anyway, and so from there, we have... We have done our very, very best to make the time that we have here important because if we have to be here without Dalton, um, then it better mean something because it's really hard to be here without him. So anyway, and then from there, um, we actually at his at his life celebration, uh, we had these purple bracelets made and they're, they say pay it forward on the bracelet. And then we had a bunch of uh, stickers made. A friend of the family did, um, Nancy. She had these awesome stickers made, and they are D-I-F-D-L. And so you'll see them all over the place. They're all over the United States now, actually. (laughs) But we call them Diftle stickers, D-I-F-D-L, do it for Dalton Lambrecht. And so what our kind of our play was, was our family movie, our favorite family movie is Pay It Forward. And we've always in our, all of our lives have tried to pay it forward in all that we do. And so what we wanted to get across at Dalton's Life Celebration for the kids, because there was about 500 people there and probably 350 of them were his friends or people that knew him from school, that kind of a thing. Anyway, and that being said, we wanted to make sure that we were giving a positive message in Colorado, and I'm and I know across the country, a lot of places have been ravaged with suicide and that kind of a thing. And while Dalton's wasn't suicide, the end result is still the same. He's not here anymore. And so, what we wanted to do was make sure that we were sending a positive message out to these kids that we give them a bracelet, we give them some Dalton cards, and we ask them to do something nice. It would be nice if it was every day. We know that's not probably real, but do something nice all the time in memory of Dalton, daily, weekly, anytime they have the opportunity. And with the bracelets and these little business cards that we had made, it was kind of easy for them to do. And then going beyond that, I've always been a writer. I love to write. I've always written poetry and songs and little stories and that kind of a thing. And that being said, our first year and a half into this, I guess, my husband, John, was really, really struggling with regret. And as you can imagine, I mean, we all struggle with regret on a daily basis. I think we all kind of kick ourselves all the time. But in John's case, he was, it was a constant 24 hour, I should have done this, I should have been there for that, all the things that you do. Anyway, and He said, I wish that you would use your writing skills and you would write a book to tell other people not to have regrets, how not to have regrets. Because if they, if they do everything like I did everything, then they're all going to have regrets if they lose their children. And obviously not everybody in the world loses their children, thankfully. While it's way more than what I would hope for, there are a lot of people that just live on a daily basis And I think as moms in general, we struggle with, are we doing enough? Did we do enough today? Do do my kids know I love them? 
you know, all those kind of things. And so what I started with was not writing a book. I started with just kind of writing some things on Facebook. And the reason I did was because a lot of people were asking the same question over and over and over and over. And so I thought maybe the way to get past this and not have to explain myself to, you know, 55 people would be to just kind of throw out a little written excerpt on Facebook, kind of a blog post or something you might say, um, just about how we're doing and how we're getting through and what we're doing on a daily basis and that kind of a thing. And as it turned out from those posts, we were getting a lot of people saying, wow, you should put this in a book or wow, you should speak about this or you wouldn't believe what you said today. I went home and I changed the way that I talk to my child today. And for me, it was like, wow, that was really cool. It made a difference to somebody. So anyway, I had done several of those on Facebook. And then people just kept saying, you should write a book, you should write a book. And then John kept saying, my husband, John kept saying, you should put this all in a book. And so I did. (laughs) So you only need to be told a many, many times to put it in a book. (laughs) But I don't want to make light of your book, Parenting at Your Best, because you got a high honor for that. Because in 2018, you were the winner of the Gold Mom's Choice Award. And that's, that's very significant. It is. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations on that. Thanks. And you know, you're right. Maybe not everybody loses a child physically, but you know, there are people who lose their children emotionally or connection wise. Yes, you know? absolutely. So it sounds to me like what you share in the whole regret angle and thinking about that and changing things could apply to all of us. Oh, absolutely. And you know, and it's funny too, because I was not the perfect parent. In fact, I sucked a lot of the time. <laughs> but but it's it was really cool in writing the book. I have 31 chapters in the book. And in every chapter, I try and do a a story about something that related to us and Dalton. And then I end the, tra- the chapter with straightforward tips for parenting at your best. And in most of the chapters, it's about what I could have done better. <laughs> how I could have handled the situation differently. (laughs) But anyway, it's um, so, so this book is not coming from the perfect parent or anyone who, who deems herself as even being close to that. I um, absolutely was far from that, but, but it comes from the want and the need to help current parents out there just be more mindful of their time with their kids and be more mindful of taking, taking a moment every day and thanking your lucky stars that you've got that little person in your life, whether they're zero, they're brand new, still in your belly or five or 10 or 50. It's just important that you just take time for everyone in your life, not just your kids, but to be grateful that they're in your life. So give us some examples of a couple of the lessons, if you will, some of the things that maybe if you think back to your Facebook posts and the questions people were asking you or the kinds of things that you started talking about early, give us a couple of examples of things that you've shared and maybe even those that people have written back to you and said, that really made a difference for me. Okay. Well, the biggest one that I get comments on is highs and lows. A lot of people call them different things. Another lady told me she calls it roses and thorns. We called it highs and lows. And basically what it was, was every night at bedtime, we all crawled in Dalton's bed together. So it was John on his left, Dalton in the middle, and me on the right, kind of like Dalton's a little burrito in the middle, and the dog on the end of the bed. (laughs) Anyway, and we would go 
around the bed, I guess you would call it, and um, talk about highs and lows. So first it was Dalton, and he had to tell us his high for the day and his low for the day. And then we would talk about it and just go on, you know, like if there's anything that could be done about it or how did it make him feel or, you know, all those kind of things. But then it was John's turn and John had to do his highs and lows for the day. And for us, we're out in the world and we're working every day. We're not in school. We're, we're all, we all have separate lives during the day. And um, anyway, and so, you know, John would bring like work things home, like this happened at work today, you know, grumbling about that or something. And then, and then we would talk about it. And, and then it was my turn and I would talk about my highs and lows. And, and I think one of the, one, I think one of the best lessons out of that is that Dalton was taught from an early age that this world is not all about him, even though even our world at home is not all about him. While he was the center of our universe, he realized that we had a life outside of him and, and the world goes on outside of him. And that being said, I think it created a more empathetic child someone more compassionate, thinking more towards others, that kind of a thing, um, than, than we would have ever imagined. Um, and I certainly didn't set forth doing that highs and lows for that particular reason. That was just a benefit of it in the, on the back end. But it was really cool because there would be some days I would come home with a work issue and I'd be out of my mind about it. And then we'd go through dinner and cleaning up the kitchen and, you know, doing whatever we do, watch a TV show, do homework, whatever. And then it was bedtime and it was time to talk about that kind of stuff. And in our life, Dalton didn't have a bedtime. He, he slept exactly as much as he needed to. So I was lucky in that way. Um, but he slept like I did, like four hours a night and he was done. <laughs> so he didn't always go to bed early. So we had more hours in the evenings probably than most parents do because he didn't go to bed sometimes till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And sometimes even later as he got older. But we, we gave, it gave us more time together, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I remember coming home and I would have this big issue at work and something that was going on. And Dalton would be like, well, why don't you do this, mom? Like it was just so flippant and so easy to come up with. And why didn't you think of that, dummy? <laughs> anyway, but, but if I was, you know, smart enough and took his advice, a lot of times it was like, duh, why didn't I think of that? How cool that a kid who doesn't have all these things pounding at him and coming from every direction, he could just come up with a solution that quickly. And why wasn't I smart enough to think about that? But if I did take it and use it, it worked sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And it was so cool that, that first of all, Dalton had the confidence, I guess is the word maybe, to say that, to say, oh, mom, well, why don't you do this? That he felt good enough to be able to talk to me that way. The other side of it was that I felt confident enough that my child was smart enough, even at age eight or nine, that he could come up with something like that and I could potentially use it and make my life better at work. Anyway, so, so that's one of the biggest things. And I'll tell you that a lot of parents that we have talked to have said that they have implemented that into their lives where, you know, just like John and I, they work 80, 90, 100 hours a week. They're exhausted when they get home. They just feel like they don't have the time. And, um, but they take that, it's literally five to seven minutes at night with each of their kids. Most people have more kids than, than one, I guess. But with each of their kids, they lay in their bed together and they do highs and lows. And I will tell you, 
we, for the longest time, we called it cuddling. And uh, when Dalton turned 14, he said to me, mom, it is not cuddling anymore. It's called hanging out. And so I digress. It's not cuddling. We hung out at night for five to seven minutes and we did our highs and lows. And it, it was just incredible. And, and I'll tell you that the nights that if there was something that we didn't have have to do that like if Dalton spent the night at a friend's house or or we were out of town for some reason we would either do it over the phone or we would do it when we got back like as soon as we got back like if we you know came back from the airport or something or we picked Dalton up at a friend's house and then we would immediately talk about highs and lows and it was really cool so and that I think from one of the lessons in the book that is one of the ones that I get the most compliments on. And for you and your husband, do you continue that today? Do you share highs and lows? We don't, I don't think we call it highs and lows anymore, but yeah, we do. We talk, we talk so much more now, way more now than we ever, ever did before we lost Dalton. Our relationship could have easily gone the other direction. Um, They say, I think it's 92% is the number that 92% of people in the first year of losing a child will divorce. I don't know what that number is today, but that's what we were very nicely told by four or five people right after we lost Dalton. Anyway, but but I had to tell you, it has changed our life. We've turned everything around to focus everything on each other um, when we're together. And, um, and yeah, we talk so much more now. So not always in the words, highs and lows, but we do always talk about our good and bad of the day. Yeah. Because I'm struck by just knowing you've got that five to seven minutes of time, Mm -hmm. right? Even if it's more or less, it doesn't really matter so much, but where you're going to focus on what went well and what you're struggling with, but know the other person is actually listening and paying attention. And when you were sharing that Dalton would come up with ideas, I'm thinking, (laughs) yeah, because he's not in this, in your head saying, oh yeah, I can't do that because so-and-so wouldn't like it. He's just like going, here's the obvious. Exactly. Take the blinders <laughs> off, mom. Just get it done. Exactly. So, and but I think we have those messages around us and we don't listen or we don't slow down, right? right. Which is what made me want to ask about how are you and your husband? Do you still do that in some way? I know the focus of your book too is about not bringing regret forward and how many of us do and you mentioned that already that you know we all have regrets or we potentially we do. do. So I cannot imagine, let me just say, acknowledging, I can't imagine having in that split instant gone from where you were just 10 minutes before to that new reality because it's there, you Mm -hmm. know? So how did you and your husband come to the place of being able to not have regret? I mean, you talked very clearly about how much he was beating himself up and the woulda, couldas, you know, I should have done this, all of that. How did you move through that? You know, it's interesting. While Dalton was here, this is terrible. This is me being a terrible mom. (laughs) But there were so many days I would go out to the garage or I would call John on his cell phone at work and I would say, you should be here. Or you know, he'd be out in the garage and I'd say, you know what, someday you're going to regret not having Dalton out here with you. You know, even if it's a pain in the butt to get your kid to come out here because, you know, they whine, they want to be inside or playing video games or doing something with their friends. 
But, you know, if you just take five minutes and argue with him to get him out here, once he got out here, he'd be excited to work with you, work on the bikes, work on whatever, that kind of a thing. And, and John would always say, oh, it's going to take too long to teach him. Take too long to teach him how to mow the lawn. It'll take too long to teach him how to fix the bike. It'll take too long to teach him how to change the oil. It'll take too long. And I would constantly harp on him. You're going to regret this someday. You're going to regret this someday. You know, as a terrible mother, I'm here, I'm telling him this, thinking, well, that's going to get him to move and change things. And about three months before Walton died, something in John changed. And, and I don't know what really exactly happened, but he they were just doing things together. They were doing things in the garage together. They rebuilt Dalton's entire four-wheeler pretty much before we left for Glamis. They put new shocks in and new carburetor and new lights and I mean all kinds of stuff they put in, new stuff for his wheels, all this kind of stuff I don't understand. But anyway, <laughs> they did all this stuff and they had all this time together that they were spending on the weekends working on that kind of stuff. And for John, he had forgotten that, you know, period of really really good and all he could focus on this is the craziest thing was I never played baseball with my kid every American dad plays baseball with their kid and I was like dude Dalton couldn't have cared less about sports he didn't like baseball he didn't like football he didn't like anything with a ball he was not interested so quit beating yourself up about it that's so stupid to even talk about like what Um, but sadly enough, that was the thing that just kept eating at him that here we had one day, I think Dalton was eight, eight or nine. I don't know. We had gone to Walmart and he was like, Oh, we have a bat and a glove and a baseball and we should play baseball in the backyard. I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds fun. Cool. I'll buy it. So I buy it. And guess where it went on the shelf in the garage. (laughs) So, and it never got touched. And I will guarantee you, Dalton never picked up that ball and said, hey, dad, let's play ball. Because guess what? He couldn't have cared less. But for some reason, that's what John held on to. And literally for like 18 months on a daily basis after we lost Dalton, I would say, dude, come on. Let's think about this. He didn't like baseball. He didn't like sports. This is dumb. Think about all the time we spent on our four-wheelers. Baseball dads don't do that. If you were a baseball dad, you'd have been on the baseball field. We'd have never been able to go out camping and riding four-wheelers and climbing hills and, you know, doing all the things that we did. And so that's not what Dalton wanted to do. We were doing what Dalton wanted to do. So it was, it literally was like 18 months of daily reminders to him that we were doing the things that Dalton liked to do as a family and that he didn't care about baseball. So long story, but it's, it kind of gets to the point of it's, it's ridiculous that we put these regrets on ourselves and we focus and focus and focus on all the bad stuff when we really needed to turn it around and go, God, you know, we didn't have a lot of vacations, but if we could take off for two days on the weekend and we could go camping and escape and go ride our four-wheelers, he loved that more than anything. So anyway. So I think that's pretty powerful of when you talk about where we put our focus. Yes. So, and as a busy mom and someone who's busy, crazy, and now without a home... (laughs) (laughs) yes just on the road i'm just gonna think of you as vagabond ronnie that's Um, right and who knows where you'll where you'll end up um but i do know that a lot of our listeners are um 
women who have kids, they're running or nonprofits or they're solopreneur, whatever, right? But or they're new moms, and right. they're trying to figure all this out and wanting to be successful at work, wanting to be a good mom. And I do know some of them feel like torn, right? Am I being right. good enough here or there? What tips have you learned along the way or suggestions to either help put regret on a shelf with that great baseball in the garage yep. away and focus <laughs> on the now? But I can't speak to it from the, as the way you can. So what could you share that can help people feel happy about where they are and out of the whole regret zone? Well, I think there's two pretty big things. One of them would be called balance. Um, I'm sure you as a life coach, um, you hear about the word balance all the time, and people are always trying to find balance. And I will tell you, um, this is my my interpretation, there is no such thing as balance. I totally never, agree. Ever, ever, never, ever, ever are you going to find balance. Never is it going to be, oh, I had exactly 30 minutes to do this and it took 30 minutes. And I had exactly 40 minutes to do this and it took exactly 40 minutes. And now I get to go do this and it's going to take me exactly 37 minutes. And it just isn't, that's not right. It's not going to happen. And and never ever are you going to have the exact amount of time to spend at work or the exact amount of time to spend on volunteering or the exact amount of time to spend on parenting that you think you should have. Because because guess what? There's only 24 hours in a day. And as moms, we try to fit a whole week's worth of shit into, you know, 24 hours a day. And somewhere in there, we're supposed to pee and we're supposed to eat and we're supposed to sleep. And we as moms in general, we suck at that, right? We're trying to, you know, we're trying to just pound so much into one single day that it's it's nearly impossible and in fact it really is it's impossible to do everything that's on our list every single day and so what we need to do is prioritize but but what I was going to say about balance is that I think if you look on a daily basis you're never going to find it if you look for balance on a, a weekly or a monthly basis you're never going to find it but when I now, after 15 years, eight months, three days, and 15 hours of having Dalton looking back on his life, I can look back on his life now and I can say, yes, it was pretty balanced. You know, he spent X amount of hours at school. He spent X amount of hours with friends. He spent X amount of hours with us. Um, you know, we brought good people into his life. We, we surrounded him with capable, loving family and friends. And, um, and so when we look back on it now, I can tell you that the kid had balance in his life. It just didn't all balance up until the day he died. Does that make sense? That makes perfect um, sense. And okay. it really helps to think about taking the long view. Yes. Right? Instead of thinking it has to look a certain way. I think having that thing, like if I'm just smarter, better, or whatever, I'll achieve this balance. It's some kind of Xanadu, right? And when I'm there, it's going to be, oh, perfect. And I agree with you. I'm thinking, it's not balance. It's how we handle things, our yes. stress levels, and and taking a long view. So I love right. how you frame that. That's really, really useful. So continue on, because I think you have more to share. I do. The second thing I was going to say, and this goes into a lot longer version, but... Um, 
people are always saying life is too short. Um, and since losing Dalton, I will tell you life is too long. It's so, so very long. And, and not to take that in a negative context or anything like that. But as a grieving mother, I have to tell you, life is just too long to be without your kid. It's, it's ridiculously long. Um, every day seems like it goes on forever and ever and ever. And then that day passes and it's like, where did the day go? Um, and, but I think that that's how it used to be too. It just feels longer now. But, but what I want to say to that is um, that if this life is, you know, we've had it planned in our heads that it's so short, but really if it is long, do take the long view. So do realize that, you know what, this doesn't have to get done today. You know what, some, some days those dishes do need to be left in the sink because your kid's having a breakdown and you need to sit and be with them and help them through it. Or your husband has had a really bad day at work and he needs, you know, you need to take him on a walk or, you know, whatever. I don't know what you do, but um, for us, we try and go kind of what we do. But um, some days you need to just leave the dishes in the sink. Some days that pile of work on your desk just isn't going to get finished. But if you take the long view of it, as you said, because life truly is so freaking long, you're going to get to it if it's important. If it's not terribly important, if it doesn't reach the top of that to-do list every day for a month, then guess what? It probably ain't important. You know what? I, while Dalton was alive, music is huge to us, huge, huge, huge to us. And so we spent a lot of time on our iTunes playlists. Okay. And I literally, we have between Dalton and I, we have like, I don't know, 150 playlists. So it could be a certain type of music. It could be, this is what we like to dance to. It could be, this music has the word something in it. I don't know, love in it, whatever. But we spent all kinds of time organizing these playlists. Now, was that important? Totally was not important to do the playlists. But the time I spent with my kid to make those playlists and figure out what was important to put in the playlists, that time was immensely important. Is that, so what I'm trying to do is get to the point of it's not always so much as the result as it is the journey, what's going on while you're getting to that result. So for me, looking back on all the things that we did, the creating those playlists, the cleaning vegetables, you know, getting vegetables from the farm, bringing them home, cleaning the vegetables. That was a Tuesday night ritual and we spent hours on it every Tuesday night. But, but when I look back on it, it had nothing to do with the vegetables. It had everything to do with the time that we were spending with Dalton Googling, well, what can we make with this red Thing. It looks maybe like a beet, but the inside is white. What could it possibly be? And what can we cook with it? What can we make? How can we make it taste good? You know, there's all these things, but where we were doing a task, it really had nothing to do with the task. It was really about the time we were spending together. So 
anyway, okay. So I, it is, you know, when you hear that, it is about the journey. It really is about the journey. I agree. And it's so, I just love how you put that together, Ronnie, because oftentimes we think it's about the task. So we get hyper focused on the task or making the task perfect, you know, like it, did we get it yes. just right when really, who cares? Did we do it? Right. You know, were we together? Right. And in my life, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that when I can just step back enough to go, I have no idea if this is coming off the way it should, because I don't know right. what it should is much of the time, right? So even right. like this interview, I'm like, an, <laughs> as we said, like, who knows how it's going to come off? The technology could go wacky on us, a bunch of stuff, right? Right. But I do know that my time with you is your gift to me. I'm just like, I've been looking forward to this. I told you before we pushed record that I could just tell by looking at your picture that I was going to like you. <laughs> I could just feel your energy. So, well, um, the feeling's mutual. <laughs> sorry, listeners. We're just having some fun here. Um, but, but I do think pointing out that distinction, that being together and experiencing life together, whether it's with our family, our friends, or our coworkers, that experience experience is really the richness. And yes. I think about we can strive for really, really long lives. But if you're miserable every day, and you hate people, and you don't like I mean, if everything is just a pain in the butt. It's not in my, my humble opinion, it's not as rich of an existence as someone who like Dalton may have been had a short life but really had a pretty balanced, full experience of life. And it sounds like he kind of lived it full out. Yes, he did. Yeah. Absolutely. So kudos to you for having that insight to be able to pick out those pieces. And, um, and I'm so glad to know I, that. You know, I, did, I didn't have that insight while I was in it, though. <laughs> Do any of us? Think about it, like the example you right. gave with when you come home from work and Dalton, he's not in your mess, right? So he can hear and see what you're right. saying and say, here you go, mom. Right. When we're in our own mess, it is icky, you know, and it's like almost like you're trying to figure your way through this clutter and you, it's hard. And then someone says, well, here, come this way. Let's do, let's do this. It's, yes. Or in retrospect, you're going, oh, I get it. You know, right? But it's the right. it's the journey. You don't get through it without going through it. Exactly. Well, I know um, one person told me we were going through a rough patch, um, and it felt like we had lost Dalton. But then there was all this other stuff that was happening, and it was like, what did we do so wrong? Why is all this stuff happening all at once? And it seems like it's just snowballing one thing right after the other. You know, and then you get into that feel sorry for myself mode and all that kind of a thing. But one of the things that really stuck with me that somebody said was, honey, what you're going through today is not what you're going to be going through in three months. Nothing is permanent. So if you're going through something today and you're stressing about it today and it's a big deal today, literally put yourself three months ahead. It's not even going to be a thought in your head in three months, what you're going through today. And in most cases, you know, if you're not moving or, you know, that kind of a thing, but if say you're changing jobs, say you got fired today and all you can think about is, oh my God, how am I going to pay my mortgage or my rent? How am I going to buy food? How am I going to put a roof over my kids' heads? You know, all those kind of things. But literally in three months, 
you're going to have another job. Life is going to be peachy again. Everything's going to be great. But today you're focused on the, I want to feel sorry for myself. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) And so being able to focus on the, it is not permanent. You know, us losing Dalton, that is permanent. But the way we handle the situation doesn't have to be permanent. And that's, those are the things that you really need to focus on. I think those are good life lessons to kind of wrap this podcast with. But I want you to ask you something. You made a very generous offer of sharing something with our guests if they want to know more about your books. Will you share in your own words what that is? We'll have all the links and stuff in the show notes <laughs> so you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Um, absolutely. I'm, I am... Ha- Will you remind me um, again? I think it was, well, no, I think it was sharing the second book, correct? Correct. If they went to your website. Okay, good. (laughs) Your memory serves. So, um, uh, sorry. (laughs) That's one thing that goes when you go through this type of process, this grief process, Um, your short-term memory goes. Yeah, so... So if you go to my website and you want to buy the book, I will send you the first book called Parenting at Your Best, but I will also send you the second book called A Parent's Guide for Journaling to Their Child for Free, um, and that's usually $6 on Amazon, So, um, and I would be happy to share that with you um, so that it would get you writing to your kids and your kids writing to you. I think that is such a loving gift and a very much of a pay-it-forward gift. Ronnie. So thank yes. you. I, I really do want to thank you for that. And I guess the last thing I want to say, I just wished you were closer so I could give you a hug and say, thank you. Thank you. Um, so you're getting a virtual <laughs> hug. And I hope that you will come back on the podcast once you get settled. Tell me how life in the RV has gone on with the construction. and Absolutely. Um, and share more of your adventure with us. Yes, I will do that. I will do that. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet, Ronnie. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, no excuses life.